morning, everybody. Now, if you noticed the sermon so far this year, we've been kind of looking at what it means to be a Christian, looking at what it means to be a part of the church, and starting the day uh, and going through the next three Sundays, we're actually going to look at what the Bible says about the church and what it is, and we're going to begin that this morning. I'm going to start with a quote from a, a fellow named Eugene Peterson. He's passed on now, but he is the, uh, the man that was responsible for the message paraphrase. He went and uh, did the entire Bible and put it in kind of a modern contemporary language. But he wrote this about the church. Whether we like it or not, the moment we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is, from the time we become a Christian, we are at the same time a member of his church. Our membership in the church is a corollary of our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact for those who confess Christ as Lord. It's not an option for those Christians who happen by nature to be more friendly than others. It is a part of the fabric of redemption. There are Christians, of course, who never put their names down on a membership list. There are Christians who refuse to respond to the call to worship each Sunday. There are Christians who say, I love God, but I hate the church. But they are members all the same, whether they like it or not. Whether they acknowledge it or not. For God never makes private, secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, true, intimate, private, no. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. This morning, we're going to be looking at the Greek word used most often in the New Testament for the church. It's a Greek word called ekklesia, and it's used about 114 times in the New Testament, including its different variations. It's a compound word derived from two other Greek words, ek and kaleo, which means out or from, and called to or summoned to. So the meaning, when you take a compound word, means those who have been called out, or those who have been put together, or those who come together to a common purpose. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, ekklesia is also the word used to describe the assembly of the righteous Hebrews, Israelites. Now the word also has non-religious connotations. Oftentimes in scripture you see groups of people coming together in public and it's the same word, ecclesia, the assembly. But it is the word used in the New Testament to describe Christ's church. This is the word in Matthew 16, 30, 13-20 when Jesus has asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And you remember their responses? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist or one of the other prophets. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in one of his mountaintop moments, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for God revealed this to you. Man did not reveal this to you. He says, you are Peter. You're my rock. That's the word Petros. He says, but on this rock, and he's talking about Peter's confession, and that word is Petra, on this rock I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of death will not overcome it. I used to get really uptight when I heard people say, well, it's time to go to church. 
Although I used to say that as a kid. And I would get kind of snooty if I'm honest. I'm like, you don't go to church. You are the church. And that is true. We are the church, capital C church, the body of Christ. There is only one church, and that's every believer all throughout the entire world, the ecclesia. But when you understand what this word means, it means those who are called out from the world, those who assemble and come together, well, the truth is, is you can go to church. We're doing it right now. It sounds kind of odd, but this is the church going to church or having church. It's an assembly. This morning we're going to focus on this idea of being called out. The idea that we are the ecclesia of Christ. Next Sunday we're going to look at the fact that the church is the family of God. The following Sunday we're going to examine the concept of being part of the body of Christ. And then lastly we're going to look at the term bride of Christ and how that relates to us. Because those are all terms used to describe Christ's church. But this morning we want to look at being called out. Being set apart. We've got five passages we're going to look at this morning. The Church of Christ is called out in many different ways. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The first way we are called out is you have to become a Christian to be a part of this church. And the first way we are called out is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is talking about this. It says, for you, beginning in verse 1, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of our great opposition. Paul's explaining that as they go and visit all these places and share the gospel, God is spreading his church. Even though it's costing him a lot, he's being persecuted. He's being opposed. But he wants them to understand that being called out and becoming part of this church, accepting the gospel, there's a cost that comes with it. It's costing Paul a lot. He wants them to understand that it may cost them something too. But the first step in being called out, becoming part of the church, is that they have to hear the gospel. And here we see Paul saying, we are preaching the gospel of Christ. Skip to verse 8. Says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. And as you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged comfort and implored each one of you to live a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The way we're first called out is someone has to preach the gospel. Somebody has to share the good news of Jesus. That was Paul's mission in his life. He was the apostle to the Gentiles and everywhere he went, in every circumstance, in every situation, he shared the gospel. And as people heard the gospel and responded, as Paul says, God called them out and made them a part of his kingdom and to share in his glory. So the first thing every single one of us, if you call yourself a Christian, it's because you first heard the gospel somewhere, maybe even in this exact building or a building similar to it, and someone preached the gospel, 
The Holy Spirit moved in you as you heard those words and you accepted Jesus. And you've been called through the gospel of Jesus Christ to be one of his. Next, flip back to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be right here in this general section. We're not going to be doing a, a whole lot of flipping. We're going to go back to 1 Thessalonians in a minute. But in Ephesians chapter 2, we see that we're called out, first of all, by hearing the gospel and responding. That's how we become a Christian. That's our entrance into the ecclesia. And once we do that, we find out we have been called from death to life. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul says this. Before you heard the gospel, before you were called out and made part of the ecclesia, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you were saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from work so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So as we're tracking along, first of all, we've been called into this assembly by hearing the gospel and responding. And because of that, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we proclaim that he is the Son of God, that we are sinners and we are lost without him, when we obey the scriptural command to be baptized in his name, we are called from death to life. We are reconciled back to God the Father. The third thing, Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. There is a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, if you missed some of them, I'll make my outline available to you. That way you don't have to hurt your fingers trying to write it all down because there is a lot of scripture here this morning. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, if we're tracking along, first of all, we've been called out through the gospel. We've been called from death to life from Christ Jesus. And in 1 Peter 2, we see that we are called from darkness to life. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you might proclaim his praises. For the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was a light shining in the darkness. He was the light of the world. Jesus used that term to describe himself. He was a light shining in darkness. When we become Christians, we are to reflect his light. Remember Jesus told the disciples during the Sermon on the Mount, you're to put your light on a hill where everyone can see it. 
when you read through Peter's letters, when you read through the Apostle Paul's writings, when you read through John's letters, you see the concept that we are to live in light because we are children of the light. If we are Christians, we are reflecting Christ's light and we're to shine it in a world filled with darkness. Paul reminds his readers that they used to walk in darkness. They used to do the, all these things that signify that they were children of darkness. He's like, but you don't do those things anymore. You're now children of light. Live like it. Shine Christ's light into the world. And if we are part of the church, if we are Christians, it doesn't mean we're perfect. We still sin. We still stumble. But we have God's grace. That's what Paul was saying in Ephesians. We're saved by grace. But we're no longer to walk in darkness the way people in the world walk. We have been called to be children of light. And that means when we go out into the world, we're reflecting the light of Christ through the things we say and the things we do. So let's track along. We've been called out through the gospel. We've been called from death to light because of what Jesus did for us. We've been called from darkness to light. We're to live as children of light. And now flip, flip back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've been called from impure living to holiness, a righteousness. It's the process of sanctification where we've become more and more like Christ. And Paul, once again... This time he's writing to a group of people in Thessalonica. And chapter 4, he's talking about being sanctified, becoming less like the world and more like Christ. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Additionally then, he's been praying for them. He says, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is writing to a specific group of people here, but because God has preserved his word for his church, he's still speaking to us. We know what Paul taught because those words have been recorded for us in Scripture. We know how we are supposed to live because those words have been preserved for us in Scripture. Look what Paul says in verse 3. This is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. And look what he says in verse 7 here. I believe this is still true to us today. God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Because we've been called to Christ through the gospel, because we've been called from death to life through his death on the cross, because we've been called from darkness to light, we've been called from living worldly ways to living godly ways. If you read Paul's writings, you see all throughout his letters, he makes it very clear what the ways of the world are. These sinful, earthly desires. 
once again, I'm not saying that we are going to be perfect. There are going to be areas where we stumble. There are going to be areas that we are tempted in. That's why we have grace. That's why Jesus went to the cross. But Paul makes it very clear. Look what he says. If you reject the idea that we are supposed to live a certain way, if you are a Christian and say, it doesn't matter what I say or what I do, I can live however I want because I have grace, I have forgiveness, it doesn't matter. Paul says when you do that, you're not rejecting his teachings. He's like, I don't care if you obey because I said it. He's like, so if you choose to live a certain way, you're, you're not rejecting Paul. You're rejecting God. You're rejecting Christ. You're rejecting His Holy Spirit that is supposed to dwell within you. And if we are truly part of the ecclesia and we have truly been called out and are a part of this thing called the church, then every day that we live, we should be walking closer and closer to Christ. Every day that we live, we should look less and less like the world. And as I said, sometimes we're going to trip up. It happens. Every single one of us in here, no matter how long we've been a Christian, have moments where we mess up. But Scripture makes it real clear that if we go to God and confess those sins, He's faithful to forgive them because we have grace. But if you're not trying through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're not listening when the Spirit is convicting you and you just go, well, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I say this or do this. Paul says you're rejecting the very one who's called you. And we cannot continue to live the way we did before we met Christ because we've been called out of that lifestyle. The last point I want us to look at this morning, just flip back to Colossians. Paul has a lot to say about this, have you noticed? When you read his words. I think there's a reason Paul has to say a lot about it because Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Paul understood that he was saved through the grace of Jesus Christ and it was nothing that he had done. And that really meant something to Paul because he was a Pharisee. He was all about keeping the law and keeping the rules and making sure he didn't miss anything. But once he met Jesus, he understood it's not about Paul. When you come to meet Jesus, it's not about us, it's about him. So we'll go through this list one more time as we read this last passage. We've been called through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody shared the gospel. We answered it, and that brought us into the church. We've been called from death to life because what Jesus did for us on the cross. We've been called from darkness to light. We're no longer to live in darkness. We're called from impure living to holiness. And lastly, in Colossians 1, Paul says, we've been called from Satan's kingdom God's kingdom. We change our citizenship. My brother-in-law is a citizen of God. He's not yet a citizen of the United States yet. He does have a green card. He lives here legally. And one day he hopes to be a citizen of the United States. My three nieces, my sister and his children, they have dual citizenship. They're citizens of Ghana because their dad's from Ghana and they're citizens of the United States because their mom's a United States citizen. You see that a lot in our world, people having dual citizenships. But one thing, Scripture makes it really clear that if we have our citizenship in heaven, we can no longer be citizens of this world. We have renounced our citizenship 
in Satan's kingdom and placed our citizenship in God's kingdom through Christ. You can't have dual citizenship. It doesn't work that way. When people renounce their citizenship, when they defect, we saw a lot of that in the 80s. People defecting from the Soviet Union and coming over here. When you defect and you renounce your citizenship in one nation to be a citizenship other, in another place, in this case it was people leaving Russia wanting to become American citizens, they could no longer go back and be citizens of the Soviet Union. When we put our faith and trust in Christ and we become citizens of the kingdom of God, we have renounced our citizenship in the kingdom of this world. And we cannot go back and reclaim it. You can't have dual citizenship. You're in one or the other. And Paul writing here in Colossians, I'm going to start with verse 9. So for this reason also, he's talking about Christ. Since the day we have heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. That's another thing you see in Paul's letters. He continually prays for these churches because he understands they're all part of one body. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Probably the most important part about being part of the ecclesia is that fact. We now have an inheritance in the kingdom of God that is eternal. When you read Revelation and you see the description of Jesus coming back and creating a new earth where there's no sin, there's no death, there's no sadness, there's no sickness. When you go back and read through the Gospels and Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near and people didn't understand it. They thought he was going to come and start a new kingdom. He was going to sit on a throne and have an army, and he didn't understand that his kingdom was not of this world. The benefits of being in the kingdom, while there are some here, the majority of them are not here in this world. So when we look this morning and as we close about what it means to be part of this ecclesia, to be part of the assembly, that's what they call church over in Ghana. When my sister lived over there, I had to, to uh, I had to go visit one. I didn't have to, but she got married, and I was fortunate enough to go visit and and meet with the saints over there two Sundays. And they call it the assembly because that's what the word means: the assembly of saints coming together. And that's what we're doing this morning. This is the church coming together to have church. But we need to remember that if we are part the ecclesia, the assembly, the called out ones. We need to remember how we got here. We were called out because someone shared the gospel. And if we want the church to grow, we need to share the gospel. That's how people are called into this assembly, is hearing the gospel. So every single one of us need to be sharing the gospel so people can hear. 
And then we need to remember we've been called from death to life. We have pain, we have suffering here in this world, but ultimately there is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Our sins will no longer be held against us. We don't have to face the penalty for them because he took it for us on the cross. We need to remember we've been called from darkness to light. We're no longer to live like the people of this world. We're no longer to do those things that we once did. We are to share the light of Jesus Christ in the darkness through the things we say and the things we do. We need to remember we've been called from impurity. We've been called from sinful living to righteousness, to holy living. The word holy means to be set apart. We're supposed to live like believers. And then lastly, we remember our citizenship is not here. If ever there was a time in our history, we need to understand that is right now. There's a lot of things going on in our nation. We're citizens of this nation, and we have benefits because we're citizens of this nation. But I think all of us can agree that that doesn't mean what it used to mean. I think we can all agree that might, that might not last for the rest of our lives. There may come a time and place, and God forbid it does, that being a citizen of America doesn't mean anything. And there are no benefits from it. But once you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, no one can take it away from you. No one can destroy it. And the benefits are eternal. It's eternal life living in the presence of our Lord and Savior. And that's more important than anything I can think of. This morning as we close, remember, we're called out. We are the ecclesia of Jesus Christ, his assembly. Next week we're going to look at something that kind of builds on this. So next week... Come back and we're going to talk about how being a Christian, being part of the church means we are part of the family of God. And I hope you come back next week for that.